0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good
1: morning. The scripture this morning is Psalm 37. If you would like to read along, there should be a Bible in the pew near you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please feel free to take one with you. Again, the reading is Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land." In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw their sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on you will look on, when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found." Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them, because they take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning, my name is Dan, I'm one of the pastors here and it's great to be with you this morning, get situated up here. I've got a quick announcement before we jump into Psalm 37. So when we started this church about six years ago, um, one of the things that that we began with and that we still have today is this desire to be a, a tangible blessing to this city. We live in a city of Denver and we've always said, whether people here believe what we believe or not, um, people, most people in the city probably think that we're crazy to, to believe what's in this book and to worship this God, <clears throat> Excuse me. But, but our desire is that these people would still see that, that we love this city, that we serve this city, and they would be thankful that we're here. And so to that end, we started something called Love 5280. Uh, there's a website, but it's just basically kind of the, the ministry of Park Church that, that strives to, to serve this city of Denver. And so n- not next Saturday, but the Saturday after. So two weeks from yesterday, we are going to join or we're going to gather here at the church and then we're going to try to serve our neighborhoods and our city and our schools right around uh, this church building. So Skinner Middle School, North High School, and then, and then the, the kind of the streets and neighborhoods right around here, we're going to gather. We're going to try to clean up those streets and alleys, serve those schools in the ways that they, they have set out for us to serve them, and, uh, and try again to be a tangible picture of the gospel in this city, in this place. And so I would encourage you guys to be there. You should have received a card when you came in. You can sign up to be there back at the table in the back or at the info table. So tell your friends, tell your gospel community, and then come out with you, with you or your family. We would love for all of you to be here two weeks from yesterday. There are also a couple of other announcements in the uh, handout you received. There is our student ministry kickoff is coming up. Um, there's a seminar on how to, how to read your Bible that I would encourage you for you guys to go to. So check out those events and uh, just be aware of them as well. I'm gonna pray for us, then we'll jump into Psalm 37. <clears throat> Lord, you are good. We acknowledge that fact. I pray that we would believe that. Lord, your word, your word says it, and uh, I pray you'd show yourself as good, as beautiful today. Um, yeah, I pray your spirit would be here working in us, opening our eyes to the the truths of your word. I pray we would um, believe what you say and live um, by your words. Lord, I pray you'd be glorified in us today. Lord, teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in the great state of Oklahoma. Not much there. I was hoping for a little bit of feedback. But the great state of Oklahoma, I grew up with two really great parents, that I'm sure they would admit they made some mistakes along the way, but they they did a lot of things well. And one thing that I remember, I've always remembered that they've done well, is that neither of my parents ever said, because I said so, which is a phrase that many of us have heard, right, as kids. Many of us that are parents have used this phrase with our kids. But my parents always gave my brother and sister and I reasons for their instruction, their rules, whatever they told us to do. They would have reasons for it. And unfortunately, as much as I appreciated my parents, uh, you know, giving us that, uh, that, that understanding of why we had to do things, I've often, with my own kids, used that phrase because I said so. So I have a three and a four year old who are at that phase where they ask why about everything. So between the two of them, I get probably 50 to 100 whys a day. And, uh, and most of the time when my wife and I tell our kids to do something, it's stay out of the street or don't jump in the deep end of the pool, or put your shoes on, or eat your dinner, all these things, we, we give them tons of rules and instructions every day. We usually have good reasons behind those rules. So we usually have reasons, they're not arbitrary, but at times, in our frustration, at least in my frustration, or laziness, I'll just say, Ben, you have to put on your shoes because I told you to. I'm not going to explain why. Um, the Bible, in Psalm 37 as well, are full of instruction, full of commands, full of ways to live, full of ways not to live. Some of those ways, some of those instructions make sense to us, we agree with them. Some of them we don't quite understand or maybe don't even agree with. And so often that question of why arises. Why is God calling us to live in certain ways, calling us to not live in other ways? And I think most of us are often left with uh, the feeling that the answer is just because I said so. That God maybe doesn't have great reasons why. There are just maybe some hoops to jump through or, or testing so we can maybe someday be with God in heaven. Um, but the the why is often really not there, and we just kind of feel like God is God, and he told us to do these things, so he said we should do it, so we should do it. Um, I don't believe that's the case. I think God does have good reasons for the things he tells us to do, for his instruction, for his rules, for his commands. And I think he, he spells them out for us, he lays them out for us in Scripture and here in Psalm 37. So just to give you a bit of background, Psalm 37 was written by David. It's a Psalm of Wisdom, which means it's it's full of instruction. So it's it looks more like a proverb than many of the Psalms do. So it, it's and it's actually an acrostic, if you know what that is. It's an alphabetic acrostic. So um, an acrostic is like a poem where the first letter of each line or word makes up another word. And so this acrostic is based on the Hebrew alphabet. I don't know Hebrew at all. A couple guys on our staff do. Uh, this week, Gary broke out his Hebrew Bible, which you know, starts in the back, and we found Psalm 37, and he pointed out and showed me that it, it does, in fact, each line of each section from this psalm starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And this is just something that the psalmist did, that David wrote in this way to make it more beautiful. This was poetry. He also used it to um, make it more memorable, to make it easy for us to memorize. Unfortunately, some of these kind of poetic elements of the psalms are often lost, you know, due to translation. Fortunately, the truths of the psalm are still, still true today. Um, what else? So it's broken up into 22 sections. Each one's about four lines long. Each one is kind of, in the sense, a proverb in and of itself that all come together to make up Psalm 37. And as we dig into this psalm today, I want to address two main questions. Uh, the first being, what is God calling us to do? Like, what are the instructions here? Very, very simply, what is God saying to us? And then the second question is, Why? Why does he tell us to do these things? Why does he tell us not to do other things? Uh, Why should we live in light of what God has said? So there are three kind of chunks, three sections that I've broken this psalm up into that helps me kind of organize it in my head at least. The first section of the first nine verses, so this is where a lot of the instruction is, and we'll call this section David's counsel. Gary made fun of me for using, you know, alliteration here, but I'm going to use alliteration Try to make it interesting. The second section, verses 10 through 38, um, we get this contrast between the righteous and the wicked, back and forth again and again. We're going to call this David's caution to the wicked. In the last section, verses 39 and 40, we see where the righteous receive their confidence. So we'll call this David's confidence. So we'll start at the beginning. We've got David's counsel, David's caution to the wicked, and David's confidence. So this first section of David's counsel, verses 1 through 9, We get a lot of instruction. He tells us to fret not three times. He says, Be not envious, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. But instead, he tells us to trust in the Lord, do good, befriend faithfulness, delight in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for the Lord. And so I want to start with this idea of not fretting. Like I said, he starts this section with. This phrase, he ends it with this phrase. I think it's an important piece. He's telling us to not be envious, to not waste our, our thoughts or energy um, because of the apparent prosperity of the wicked, of those around us. And as people, as humans, and as Christians, I think this is um, common, right? We think that life should be good. We think that Christian life especially should be good. Um, yet we have problems. All of us have issues. When we look at our lives, we have either financial issues, marriage issues, relational issues. Um, maybe issues with school or with the law even, emotional issues. We look at our lives and they are not perfect, right? We have problems, we have issues. And we live in, in a city that's full of prosperity. Like Denver is a good place to live. It's, it's sunny most of the time, there are mountains. And it seems like most of the people around us are living these beautiful lives that, that many of us don't feel like we're living. My, my life is, well, I'm married now, I have two kids and Megan and I, we, we had a really fun, exciting life before kids, and now our life seems much more boring. Now, it's, it's great. I love it. But you look around at other people, and they're always hiking, and they're always at different restaurants and in different countries and seeing different bands. We used to see bands play in Denver all the time. That doesn't happen much anymore. Um, it's really hard not to look around and envy what other people have. We're, it's kind of our nature. It's even, um, it's just Kind of fed to us through through media, through TV, through movies, through advertisements, through Instagram and Facebook. I mean, you look at Facebook and you just see you know the the beautiful lives of everybody else because people post typically the good parts of their lives online, Um, and it's easy to look around and wonder um, you know why them and not us. And we live in a city that's mostly non-Christian, right? Stats would say that 90 to 95 percent of this city, um, the people don't believe in the God of the Bible; they don't worship Him. And yet God seems to be pouring out just prosperity and his grace on the people of this city. Um, I typically don't realize that I need something new until I see someone else that has it, right? I'm pretty content. I have everything that I need. Um, but when I see someone that has, a, you know, a shoulder bag that I don't have, or a pair of shoes, or a car, or a house, or whatever it may be, I realize how much I need that thing and how much, you know, the thing that I have is, is uh, inferior. Even... You know, my wife and I were able to buy a house a few years ago that we love, we're so thankful for um, but our kids are, are becoming school age now so we're looking at schooling options and the, the elementary school that's in our neighborhood is one of the worst elementary schools in all of Denver and then we look at people just a few blocks away from us and they, uh, their district, their school is one of the best schools in all of Denver and so we, we desire that I want their house, I want their school district I want their neighborhood um, about a week and a half ago I was driving uh, with my family, with Megan and our kids, in my Volkswagen Eurovan, which I love, many of you know. And we pull up to the stoplight at 38th and Federal, and I look over, and right next to me pulls up this this guy on this beautiful motorcycle, this BMW R1200GS. If you know anything about motorcycles, it's a great bike. It's the same bike that uh, the actor Ewan McGregor rode around the world on, and, and they did a documentary on it. So I love this bike. Um, and I'm just staring at it, you know. And, I'm, and on some level, I'm desiring that I was on this bike instead of in this van with my family, right? And then after a couple, you know, a few seconds of looking at it, I see him, he's looking back at the van, right? And then he motions for me to roll the window down. So I roll my window down, and um, he starts asking about my Eurovan. And so, saying that he wants a van just like this, he's, he wants to sell his Subaru and get a van. And I, I took this, I took great pleasure in the fact that as I'm desiring his life and his motorcycle... Um, in the same way, he wants what I have. So we all we all do this. This isn't new to us. This isn't new to our generation. David did this. The people that David, uh, you know, initially the people that would have read this psalm um, experienced the same thing. And David is a man who, right firsthand, he has experienced desire and what that can cause. You know, he was a man who was the king. He uh, had everything he needed. He could have had any wife he wanted. Yet he looked out his window. He saw a woman. He desired her because she was beautiful. He inquired about her and uh, found out that she was married and yet he still brought her into his house, had, slept with her, got her pregnant and then lied about it, covered it up, ended up having a man killed, her husband killed to cover it up and, and then the chaos ensued from there. And so Dave is a man who knows what it is to desire something that's not his own. So he tells us in Psalm 37, he calls us not to fret, don't desire the lives or the prosperity of others. But then to my, my second question, why? Why does God command this? This along with all the other commands that we see here in Psalm 37. Why is God calling us not to do certain things and to do certain things? Often it seems like God is, is kind of a, a stick in the mud, right? He wants us to live these quiet lives, kind of depriving ourselves. So one day we can be with him in heaven and enjoy, right, enjoy eternity, enjoy life. Um, I don't believe that's true. God wants our joy for eternity most definitely, but he wants our joy today. He wants our joy right now. I think often more than even we want our joy. And we run around seeking joy in a million different ways and good things and bad things in family, um, in work, and family and work and you name it. We, we all are seeking joy and satisfaction and pleasure right, in a million different things. And God desires pleasure for us. The, the problem isn't that we desire this too much It's impossible to to desire pleasure too much. God has designed us that way. The problem is we look for it in the wrong places. So in this command, don't worry about the, the success or prosperity of others. God gives us the flip side. He says, but instead, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love this verse. I love reading this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is a promise It's a promise that makes some people uneasy because it sounds a little bit like um, what we would call the health and wealth gospel, right? This teaching that if you pray hard enough, if you love God enough, if you serve enough, if you give enough money, then God will give you that car or that motorcycle that you want or that house that you want or the spouse, the husband or wife or the kids that you've been praying for. And I'll just come out and say that's not what this is talking about, just to ease your nerves if you were thinking that. Um, But it is true. It is a promise that he will give you the desires of your heart. When we think about um, delighting in the Lord, I don't think most of us think about delighting in his commands or his law or his um, instruction, right? There's a lot lot to to delight in about God. God is a good God. He has beautiful attributes. We can delight um, in all the ways that he's holy, um, that he's set apart, that he's merciful to us, right? We can delight in his creation. He's made a beautiful world, a beautiful city for us to live in. We can delight in the fact that Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows for those who trust in him. That He's taken the punishment for our sin on the cross. Those are beautiful things that we can delight in. We should delight in daily. But there's a piece of delighting in God that I think we often miss. And for the psalmist, for David, this idea of delighting in God and then delighting in the law of God um, aren't two separate things. Those would be tightly knit together uh, David and the psalmist would never think about delighting in God outside of delighting in his law. In Psalm 1, the psalmist says that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is one of my favorite psalms, partly because Joel Olympic, um our worship pastor, he recorded this psalm for his Verses Project, and it's, it's something that I've listened to a lot, and I've got this psalm stuck in my head. Um, and I love this idea, though, that the psalmist tells us his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, which is, again, a very foreign concept to us. Most of us don't delight in law, right? We delight in the mercies of God and in these good aspects of, of God, the ways he's good to us. We don't delight in law, typically, right? Even just in, in the law of the land, I don't delight in the speed limit. I adhere to it generally because I don't want to get in trouble. I think we do the same thing with God's law. We generally try to stick to it because we don't want to get in trouble. We, we don't want God to be mad at us. Um, but we don't delight in it. We don't meditate on it day and night. But why should we? Why should we delight in God's law? And I'd say the short answer is because it's good. It is good. It's not arbitrary. God has given us his law because he loves us. It's not, again, a hoop to jump through or a test for us. The law most definitely um, exposes the fact that we need a savior. That's That's uh, very true. It all it is also good though. It's also the way to life. It's not just um, it's not just there because God said so, it's there because it's it's good. Sam Storms is a, a pastor and author that, that I love and respect, and he wrote a book called More Precious Than Gold, and it's just reflections on a few of the Psalms. And about Psalm thirty seven, he observes and, and says, Obedience nourishes delight and joy. God's commands are his prescription for happiness. And spiritual health. We must therefore trust God when he says that sin will corrupt and destroy. We must trust God when he says obedience will bless and enrich. So obedience nourishes delight. right? It's the path to delight. He says God's commands are his prescription for happiness. So just as we, when we get sick, we go to the doctor and get a prescription for an antibiotic or whatever they give us. That's our prescription for health in that situation. God's commands are his prescription for happiness and spiritual health. So we've got to trust God when he says that sin will corrupt and destroy. We have to trust God when he says that obedience will bless and enrich. In this life, right? Not just for eternity, not just in heaven someday, but in this life starting today. God's commands, his laws, they lead us to obedience which nourish delight and joy and happiness. So in Psalm 1 again, he says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Then it goes on to say he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its root does not wither. So what a great picture, right, of the man or woman who delights in the Lord, who meditates on the law of the Lord, is like a tree planted by a stream of water, so its roots go down deep. Right? and are nourished by the water from the stream. And they're not dependent on the weather, on rain, on drought. So the tree that's set apart from the river, when drought comes, its leaves wither and it doesn't bear fruit and it dies. This tree that's planted by a stream of water, right, the stream of, of God's word, its roots go down and are nourished and it bears fruit, its leaves are green. Psalm 119, another psalm, it says the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold sweeter also than honey in drippings of the honeycomb That's crazy right when I read that it didn't make sense right that God's rules his commands are more to be desired than gold I mean all of us understand that that desire for money or wealth or security God's laws his commands are more to be desired than gold and money than finances, than security. They're sweeter than honey. I love honey. I put honey on everything. I just had some tea with a, a whole lot of honey in it, and it was good. And it was sweet, and it tasted good. And when we eat good food, when we drink tea with honey in it, um, when we read a good book or watch a good movie or hang out with our family or friends, we can taste and see that those things are good, right? We can taste literally and see those things are good. God says his law, his commands, his instruction, are more to be desired, are better than those things. So David sees the righteous looking at the wicked and desiring what they have, envying their lives. And he doesn't merely say, stop comparing. Just don't look at them, look away, stop comparing with them. What he says is, if you're going to look at those people, let's look at the the, the reality. Let's look below below the surface and see what's really there and actually make a, a real comparison He says, don't fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong for like grass they will soon wither. Like green plants they will soon die away. So it appears that they have it all together, right? Like green grass, they look beautiful but soon they will wither and die. My wife and I, we have a, a tiny little garden, you know, like a vegetable garden that we grow tomatoes and zucchini in the summer we have this zucchini plant that's it's huge it's like as big as this rug right here it's enormous it's like grown out of the the bed and it's it's huge it just popped up right this spring as soon as we started watering it and the sun came out and put some seeds in there it got huge but when fall comes here in a couple months it will it'll wither and die within a few weeks once it gets cold we uh we planted grass in our backyard a few years ago The year, actually, the week my my daughter was born, we decided to to put down sod in our backyard. So we bought dirt, shoveled it out, raked it out, leveled the yard, laid out sod. We spent a couple days working really hard. And then at the end of those two days, we were exhausted and we had this beautiful yard. I mean, it was green, beautiful. I used to pity men who cared about their yards. Um, When I was going to do more fun things as a single guy, now I have a yard and I really care about it. But our backyard was, it was it was beautiful, and you just wanted to roll around in it, and you have picnics every day in your backyard, sit there on the grass. as green and vibrant, and then, um, you know, we took care of it. We watered it, and then we got busy, and and a couple months passed, and we stopped watering it, and really quickly, all that grass withered and died. I mean, we, we put all this work into it, and then just like that, it was gone. It was white, and yellow, and crispy, and Patchy and weeds started to sprout up. Even the weeds uh, that have, you know, like the thorns. So I'd walk out there and get thorns in my feet and get frustrated because it was beautiful and soft. Just a couple months before. So the psalmist David is contrasting these people who are like green grass, right? They look beautiful on the surface, but how quickly that passes. How quickly they wither and die, compared with the man, the woman, who's planted by a stream of water, right? Who roots, who has, have roots that go down deep and are nourished. Um, by the word of God. So throughout this psalm, we see this contrast. The wicked man, I'm going to go over here, the wicked man, I'm going to try to keep it straight, the wicked man who prospers in his way, and the righteous man who delights in the Lord. As I was kind of pondering this this week, thinking about this contrast this week, and this idea that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, that he will give us the desires of our heart. Romans chapter 1 popped into my head. Um, because it's, there's some very similar wording there. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that, that those who refuse to worship God, those who refuse to delight in God, God will give them the desires of their heart. God will give them over to what they desire, which is stunning, right, this contrast. That in Psalm 37, we see these desires that God is promising to give us. They're described as wisdom, contentment, justice, eternal inheritance, generosity, steadiness, peace, deliverance, refuge, purpose, righteousness. For those who delight in the Lord, he will give us those desires. Romans 1, very similar wording. Those who refuse to delight in God, he will give them the desires of their hearts. Lust, impurity, dishonorable passions, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, gossip, slander, foolishness, unrighteousness. So whether you delight in God or whether you don't delight in God, whether you choose to delight in the Lord or refuse to delight in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. So what does your heart desire? That's a big question. So the second section of this psalm, which we're kind of moving into here with this contrast, David's caution to the wicked. We see David um, for 28 verses here, contrasting the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, going back and forth. Uh, in, in, in detail, he's describing these two different lives, both in the present and in the future. It says the wicked will be no more, but the meek shall inherit the earth. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. The arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless will remain forever. And not be put to shame, but the wicked will perish. Those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. There is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. Throughout this psalm, David is, is drawing this line in the sand, right? Creating this contrast and creating this, this line of the righteous and the wicked. The good and the bad, right? Saints and the sinners. He doesn't create the categories that we do. We typically look at the world, look at ourselves, and create a lot of different different categories of of really good people, pretty good people, which most of us would fall in that category, right? We think we're pretty good people, kind of neutral people, kind of bad people, really bad people. So we've got terrorists, we've got Mother Teresa, whoever, you know, in your mind is is really good, and you've got everybody in between, David and, and God, for that matter, throughout Scripture doesn't do that. He creates a line. He says there are righteous and there are wicked. They are good and they are bad. And I don't think this lines up with most of the, the way that most of us look at the world, look at ourselves. I think of myself as generally good with some bad in me, right? But I try to do good. I try to serve people. I try to love my family well. I try to serve this church and sometimes do. Yet in the midst of that, there are you know, selfish desires, there are motives that are sinful, right? I mess up, I sin often. Many of you, I would say, or I would say all of you, are the same way. Um, If you want to see the sin come out in me, um, all you have to do is ask me to drive you to the airport or help you move. And I will refuse. But I won't just come out and refuse, I'll I'll make an excuse. So there, there are people in this room who have asked me to do those things, so they can attest that I've somehow weaseled out of helping them do either one of those because I hate driving to the airport and even more, I hate like heavy, or carrying heavy objects up and down stairs. Um, that's selfish, right? A couple weeks ago, actually not a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, one of our best friends, some of our best friends, a family that's, that's here in Denver, they were driving back from Nebraska and their car broke down right as they were about to enter into Colorado. And um, they were stuck on the side of the road and my wife, Said, hey, I think I'm going to go pick up our friends. We're going to go pick up Lauren and the kids and let Andy deal with the car. And the first thing that ran through my mind was, how much gas is that going to cost us? It's going to be like $40 in gas. And it wasn't just like a fleeting thought. I thought about that for minutes and then finally had to realize how much of a jerk I was being. Um, So we all have good and bad in us, it seems like, right? So who are the righteous? Who are the wicked? Where do we fall? Let's look at verses 39 and 40. It says, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. So, again, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He delivers them. He saves them who? Who does he deliver and save? Those who take refuge in him. So who are the righteous? Those who take refuge in God. Who are the wicked? Those who don't take refuge in God. Psalm 14 tells us that all have turned aside. Paul steals this from the psalmist. All have turned away. There's no one who does good not even one. James he tells us that whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Right? So we are all wicked. We are all broken. I love, just going back to the story of David, um, I love it when he's exposed, when Nathan exposes this sin in him. And Nathan comes to David and he tells him a story, as if it were a true story, of two men who live in a city, a very rich man who has herds and flocks, who has more than he needs, and another man who's very poor. And he just has one, I think it's a lamb. And he loves this lamb. He, he treats it like part of his family, takes care of it. He, he loves it. And then the rich man, one day, he, needs to, he wants to, to provide a meal for, for a visitor. So instead of taking one of his own animals, he takes the, the, the lamb from the, the poor man, and he slaughters it and serves it. And so David's anger is kindled, it says. And he says, this man must die. <laughs> this man deserves death. And then Nathan says, you're this man. Right? You are this man. We're all this, this man. We can look around us. We can see the sin of the world. We can see the sin of other people. Um, yet we're no different. Right? We are all this man just as David was. Yet, in the midst of that, right, in our unbelief, in our junk, In our rebellion, even when we are dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us, right? God, in His mercy, made a way for us to know Him, to have peace with Him. And so, all those who take refuge in Him, all those who take refuge in Jesus, all those who see His perfection and trust in that instead of our own perfection, instead of our own works, we're made united with Him. We have union with Christ. So, we're united with Him in in His perfection. We're united with him in his inheritance. We're united with him in his righteousness. So our righteousness comes from Christ. So this is a, a beautiful truth um, that we could end with. But I want to I want to go on. Brent said this last week. I could end here, uh, but I want to I want to take take it one more step further and it, or just answer one more question, really, which is again the why. So if we are saved. By faith, right? If we are saved through what Jesus has done and, and not because of anything that we could do in this life, not because of any, any law we could keep, right, or any way we live, we're saved because of what Jesus has done, then again, why? Why the law? Why God's commands? Why should we care about what God says? There's this, I think, this tendency um, in all of us that as we begin to understand grace, either for the first time or maybe just we're reminded of it again, that we begin to think that our actions don't matter, It's very clear throughout Scripture that we're saved by faith alone. That's something that we celebrate here. We talk about every week. We are saved by faith alone. Yet, it's also very clear, equally clear throughout Scripture, throughout the Old and New Testament that that faith that saves us is never alone. I didn't make up that catchy phrase, but I love it. That We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us never alone. I've been reading a book um, by... A guy named Kevin D. Young called The Hole in Our Holiness. And I, was just, I happened to be reading it as I was preparing for this sermon. And he is a guy who believes the gospel completely. He believes in the righteousness, that our righteousness comes from Jesus, Jesus alone. Um, but he also sees this gap that we don't pursue holiness like we should. He says that faith and good works are both necessary, but one is the root and the other is the fruit. So the first part of that, again, is sometimes off-putting. Faith and good works are both necessary. We like to think, no, it's only faith, right? It's only faith. Good works don't matter anymore. No, faith and good works are both necessary. They're different. One is the root and one is the fruit, right? Faith is the root. Good works are the fruit. So if we are the man or the woman who's planted by a stream of water, right? And our roots go down deep into into that water, then we will produce fruit. Our leaves won't wither. So good works is the evidence of what God has done in us. A.W. Tozer is a respected theologian, and I love the way he says this, being from Oklahoma. He says this exactly like my grandpa would. He says, plain horse sense ought to tell us that anything that makes no change in the man who professes it makes no difference to God either. And it is an easily observable fact that for countless numbers of people, the change from no faith to faith makes no actual difference in life, Faith in Jesus changes everything, right? It changes our, our position before God. It changes our relationship with him. It also changes our lives. God doesn't take a man or a woman who's running from him, right? Who's running towards hell, who's running towards a cliff, and save him and allow him to continue to run that way, right? When God saves a person, he changes... The, He makes them righteous positionally, right, before him, but he also changes their path. It says, no, this is the way to righteousness. Not just eternally, but in this life. He doesn't allow us, he loves us too much to allow us to continue to run after things that don't satisfy, that bring destruction, that bring despair. It changes how we work. It changes how we interact with our wife or our husband or our kids. It changes how we um, love our roommates and our friends, right? It changes how we... Um, use our bodies, changes everything about our lives. It should change everything about our lives. It changes how we use our money. So the sacrifice of Jesus gives us freedom from sin. And this is a big concept that, that, that we, we celebrate here as well. It gives us freedom from sin in two ways, right? So we're freed from the penalty of sin. Jesus has borne that on our behalf. So we no longer have to worry about being penalized for our sin, That has fallen on Jesus. But it has also freed us from slavery to sin. And this is a piece that many of us miss. Right? That Jesus has freed us to live lives of righteousness, of joy, of peace, of happiness, of actual pleasure, of actual joy. Right? So, believing, trusting in Jesus has freed us. As laid out in Romans 6, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. We're freed to pursue the path that God has called us to that actually does bring life. So the law of the Lord, again, is good. It's life-giving, both eternally but also in this life today. It's good and it brings life. God knows what's best for us. I think most of us, uh, definitely myself and I would venture to say all of you, most of the time we either think that we're smarter than God, right, or we don't really want to pursue happiness. Like God has laid out a path. For life and for happiness and for joy and for pleasure. And we 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 don't we don't love it, like the psalmist says. We don't delight in it, we don't meditate on it. We do our own thing. We choose our own path. Right? So either we don't believe that God is good, or we think we're smarter than him, or we don't really want to live a life of joy. So in God and His kindness, He's laid out that path for us. So for everybody in this room, Christian or non Christian, I know that there are Many Christians here, I think there are probably people in this room that don't believe this stuff that we're talking about. I would call you all to the same thing. Take refuge in God. Take refuge in delight in the fact that Jesus has taken your place. Delight in him, delight in God. Delight in his goodness, in his mercy. Delight in his commands, in his laws, in his rules. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray you would cause us to believe. Um, I pray these truths from Psalm 37 would be true in our lives. Um, I pray we wouldn't walk away unchanged by this, myself included. Um, I pray we would believe that you are good. Lord, that everything about you is good and that your commands, your laws, your instruction, Lord, are are more to be desired than gold, that they're sweeter than honey. Lord cause us to believe that and uh, yeah give us the just the desire and the power to live lives of joy live lives that bring actual happiness and contentment, fulfillment and peace Um, those of us who are living lives um, that are running from you Lord I pray that you would turn um, and not only save us but turn us Towards righteousness, turn us towards you, let us live lives that both glorify you and also bring happiness and contentment and fulfillment in this life for us. Lord, we're thankful for your word. we're thankful for Jesus. Lord, we worship you for because Jesus. of Him. Yeah, we pray you be glorified today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.